Yes, so hello everyone and welcome. We've um, done all that we can to provide a cool breeze through here. The rest is down to, uh, well, the wind basically. Uh, so I can't do anything about that. Um, so yes, we are going to begin today um, with uh, a look at the book of Hebrews. So perhaps I should encourage you to find that book in the New Testament so that you can be familiar as to where it is. So you can use the contents page or, or the search function or whatever you've got. But find Hebrews, 13 wonderful chapters there. Um, very significant really in terms of a link between the Old and the New Testament. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, but also significant is that um, we are doing the same now as our sister congregation over in Wimborne. So from this point onwards, um, we're the same sermon, as it were, the same subject matter is being preached in both locations, um, obviously by different people. So Paul's over there today doing the, the intro to Hebrews. But what that means is that you can feel very free to go and visit uh, our brothers and sisters over there in Wimborne without fear of missing out on anything because they're going to be, uh, you know, hearing the same as you guys and we want them to come over here as well so you know in all seriousness do feel free if you want to do something different on a Sunday go and visit them go and get to know them go and encourage them and strengthen them and bless them um, and likewise they're being encouraged to come here so when we get folk from Wimborne come over here greet them warmly and make them feel very much at home uh, right enough gabbling on Tim So Hebrews, so whenever you come to uh, a book in the Bible, really, you want to you get a sort of basic understanding of why it was written, who it was written to, who wrote it, and what, what's the background, what's going on. Um, so I'm just going to spend a, a little bit of time going through that. So Hebrews, first of all, the book is written to the Hebrews. That's not specifically, you won't find a specific um, uh, verse there that addresses the Hebrews. Um, so that's a bit of tradition, really, um, that's, that's come to us, um, but undisputed, uh, really. Um, so who are the Hebrews? What does that word even mean? So generally speaking, that word is another word for the Jewish people. Um, if we go right back into Genesis, we'll find that, that Abraham was referred to as a Hebrew. Abraham was called a Hebrew in Genesis 14. Um, king Saul, the first king of the Israelites, refers to his people as Hebrews, uh, 1 Samuel 13. Uh, you might be familiar with uh, the Apostle Paul himself, who refers to himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews when describing his Jewish heritage. That's in Philippians 3. So it seems to be a word which other people began to uh, use to refer to the Israelites, the Jewish people, and then they adopted it themselves. Um, the word means those who have crossed over. That's really the kind of uh, hidden uh, meaning and origin of that word, those that have crossed over. So we might think of Abraham having crossed over the Euphrates leaving Ur of the Chaldees and crossing over into the Promised Land. Um, we might want to think about um, 
the Israelites leaving Egypt, crossing over the Red Sea, crossing over the wilderness, crossing over the Jordan and into the Promised Land. And that helps us understand why in this first century AD context, the Hebrews here are the Jews that have crossed over into Christianity. So when this writer is writing, and, and kind of in these days, as it were, that term Hebrews is more specifically used of, of Jews that have become Christians, that have crossed over in that way. So that's who it's written to. It's written to Jews that have become Christians in the first century, Jews that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as their Messiah, recognised that what was promised about the Messiah in the Old Testament is being fulfilled in Christ in the New Testament and, you know, believing in his name. So that's what's going on there. Um, as for who wrote it, well, the bottom line is we're not really sure. Traditionally, it's been regarded as a letter from the Apostle Paul. So you'll find, for example, in the King James Version of the Bible, uh, the title of the book is The Epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. Uh, you might have other versions as well of the scriptures that, that say that. Um, it's a little bit different to letters from Paul, especially at the beginning. Paul normally makes, um, makes quite a lot of his introduction, makes quite a lot of who he is and who he's maybe, you know, other people that are with him when he's writing and who he's writing to. So that stuff, we don't find that in Hebrews. Um, some people say, oh, it's just got missed off at some point. Um, but um, another perhaps good reason is that, well, when Paul writes to, you know, like the church in Corinth or Rome or Ephesus, he's writing to Gentile Christians and he's making a lot of the fact that he is an apostle to the Gentiles. So obviously he does make a big introduction. But now, when he's writing to the Jews, he doesn't have the measure of that authority in terms of an apostleship, so he tones it down a bit. Um, and certainly the language is toned down a little bit. Normally, Paul is very uh, authoritative. There's lots of commands and instructions. You don't tend to get that in Hebrews. What you get in Hebrews is strong encouragements and also some pretty dire warnings about the consequences of not believing and disobeying. So, you know, it feels a little bit different, um, but there's no contradiction between anything that Paul writes in any of his letters that we know are his and anything that's in Hebrews. The one thing we know for sure is that it isn't written by Timothy. We know that for sure because at the end of the book, chapter 13, verse 23, there's reference to Timothy. Um, and clearly if... If the author was Timothy, he wouldn't refer to himself in that way. Um, but it also means that um, the author and the, the readers of this letter are moving in the same circle. So for him to casually mention Timothy, Timothy's now been released from prison is what he says. Um, you know, so a bit of personal news there. Well, then obviously those guys must be moving in those circles as well. 
Um, this, the guy who's writing must, must know what's happened with Timothy. The guys that are receiving this letter must be familiar with Timothy and what's going on. That must be news to them. So we're in the same circles, which puts us in the same circles as Paul as well. There's also mention at the end, those from Italy greet you. Now, that might mean those from Italy where I am are sending their greetings. Um, the Greeks are a little bit ambiguous on that. It probably means those with me that have come from Italy send you their greetings. In which case, then, we might be in a situation where we've got, we know now, you know, looking in Scripture, we know, if you go to Acts 18, we know that there was a time when a lot of Jews that were living in Rome um, were driven out of Rome. There was an, an, an oppression there, um, and so they scattered from Rome, and quite a lot of them came to Corinth, where they found some refuge there. And amongst them was guys like Priscilla and Aquila, um, who, you know, that might be familiar to you. They were crucially involved in establishing the church in Corinth. And um, a fella who wandered across uh, their path was a chap called Apollos. Um, Apollos was a Jew uh, from Alexandria. And let me just read what... So Aquila and Priscilla take him to one side and just kind of uh, ground him more accurately in the word of God. Um, and it says, um, it says of Apollos, uh, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus. Uh, he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brethren encouraged him, wrote to the disciples to welcome in. And when he arrived there, he greatly helped those who had believed through the grace of God, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So you've actually got a character in the Bible who could well be an author of the book of Hebrews. So that's one character for you. Bottom line is, it doesn't really matter in the end. I think like all of these books of scripture we understand that there's one kind of editor-in-chief um, overall one inspirer um, and the work was commissioned and inspired by the holy spirit you know and therefore we receive it as the word of god and receive the same inspiration and instruction and spiritual nourishment today from it as for when it was written well, we can be a little bit more accurate about that. It was almost certainly written a few years before 70 AD. The reason I say that is because in 70 AD, the temple that stood in Jerusalem, that you read about when you read about the Gospels and Jesus and his disciples in the temple, that temple was completely destroyed by the Romans. The Romans uh, drove out the Jews from the Promised Land, um, and they were scattered right across the Roman Empire. Jerusalem was uh, trashed and destroyed, and the temple was literally torn down so that one, there, were no, there were no one stone standing on top of another, which was exactly as Jesus prophesied. And if you go to Jerusalem today, um, you can walk around um, where the, the temple stood, 
um, the temple stood on Temple Mount, so you can walk around the base of Temple Mount and you can see the stones of the temple, the big building blocks of the temple, literally thrown down in a big tumble because they're massive and nobody's been able to move them. They're huge. Um, so that happened in 70 AD. That really was the end of uh, the Judaism that we find in scripture. Um, and since then, the Jews have been scattered. I say since then, because, you know, we are, it's only very, very recently, it's only from 1948 that there have been, there's been a nation of Israel. So for you and I and our generation, we, we live in this world where there is a nation of Israel living in, and Jews are living in that promised land. But for our parents' generation, at least for my parents' generation, you know, that was not the case. That happened after the Second World War. So for 2,000 years, you know, near enough, the Jews have been scattered across the face of the earth um, and moving constantly from one place to another. They've constantly been subject to uh, pogroms, as they're called, you know, but intense periods of, of uh, anti-Semitic, uh, you know, basically been driven out. We've driven them out of our own nation two or three times in our history. So, um, you know, we're just as complicit as the rest. But the point about that is that in, in Hebrews chapter 8, when, when, when the writer of Hebrews is writing, he's writing about the end of Judaism and the beginning of Christianity. And he says, this is kind of the most telling one, 8.13, he's, he's talking about a new covenant coming, you know, a new covenant now in place. And he says, <coughs> he says, when, when he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. And the, the flavour of his writing, he writes as if the temple still stands and the daily sacrifices are still, still being made, but clearly anticipates that all this has got to come to an end. And so we, we can see that had that already happened in 70 AD, he would definitely be referencing it. So this is a little bit before that. Um, so we're, we're probably about 68 AD, something like that. Um, and in many ways, I think I look at this and I see this as God's grace to the Jews at that time preparing them for this cataclysmic end really to the Judaism that they were experiencing you, you know you imagine it really you know that the temple's gone completely everybody's driven out of the promised land there's about a million killed um, in that route um, and there's the remaining two million are scattered across the Roman Empire often going into slavery it's a complete change um, to, you know, to, and, and completely contrary to what they were all expecting. Um, right. And that really brings me to the big theme. So the big theme of this book, we can describe it in several different ways. Um, I, like to, I like to think of it in terms of from shadow to substance. That's a reference um, to um, chapter 10 here beginning of chapter 10, for the law, since it is only a shadow of the good things to come and not the very substance of them, etc., uh, etc. Et so that's how, that's how we think about 
That's how he, the writer of Hebrews, teaches us to think about the Old Testament as shadow, as a foreshadowing. So somebody is coming, the sun is behind them, their shadow arise first. You, you, you gain something of them, you understand something of them by, by the shadow that is cast before them. But clearly when the person themselves arrives, when the substance arises, your attention is taking up with the substance. You would be thought very peculiar indeed if you continue to address yourself to the shadow of somebody when they have actually arrived. Um, and, you know, the substance is obviously so much more greater than the shadow. And so, so this is the way really that, the, the, you know, the, the whole book is written. Let me just um, direct you to the first few verses here, chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he goes on from there. So, so what he says is God spoke to us in many ways in the past, referring to a lot of the Old Testament scripture, referring to the fathers, the patriarchs, the Old Testament patriarchs, um, and, and, uh, and in many ways and in many portions, he's talking about the whole variety of that revelation, but he's saying he spoke to us in all of those ways, but now, in these last days, he speaks to us through the Son. These are the days of the Son. These are the days of the revelation of God through the Son. The coming of the Son of God changes everything. And indeed, for Judaism, it fulfills everything. So much of what was spoken, much of what the Jews were believing for, is now fulfilled in the coming of their Messiah. Would they but recognise that and receive that? Um, and so that's, you know, that is the thrust, really. Judaism was a foreshadowing. Christ is the substance. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Forgiveness of sin is better than covering of sin. Okay, in the new covenant, we have forgiveness of sin. In the old covenant, they had to continually uh, bring sacrifices um, for the covering of sin. Christ is better than Moses. That's another theme he picks up. So when we were, we've been looking at um, Exodus and we've been drawing parallels constantly, haven't we, between the, the, uh, the Exodus of the, the people of God and the start there of that old covenant uh, people of God. And we, we got to Sinai. If you remember a few weeks ago, we were even looking at that old covenant meal where 70 of the elders went up the mountain and ate and drank in the presence of God and they saw the feet of God stood on that pavement of sapphire. Um, and, you know, we, we, we related that across, didn't we, to where Jesus is taking the Last Supper and says, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. And there we are, you know, there they are, the 12 disciples eating and drinking in the presence of Almighty God. Um, and, uh, you know, Anyway, so that's that, right? So Christ better than Moses. Moses was not able to bring the people into the promised land and give them rest, um, but Jesus is. Jesus, a better high priest. 
than Aaron. So Aaron, the, the brother of Moses and the high priesthood that descends from him, you know, all those that are genetically descended and in the first line of descent from Aaron. Um, but Jesus is of a different priesthood, a different order, the order of Melchizedek. So we'll find out as we study this, which is a better and greater order of priesthood. He is a better and greater priest. He brings a better and greater sacrifice. Um, Jesus himself is the sacrifice, dies once and for all. So no further sacrifice is required where sin has been forgiven. And it just is an observation I'll make that um, we do not find uh, mankind involved in bringing animal sacrifices today. And even the concept of such a thing is, you know, abhorrent to us. Um, and yet, um, prior to uh, the first century AD, um, prior to the coming of Jesus, almost all human societies were involved in animal sacrifice. And we kind of take it for granted that, you know, when you go back in archaeology and you start digging things up, we're not at all surprised to find that there are altars and animals being sacrificed and sometimes humans being sacrificed as well. We don't find that unusual, and yet today there's absolutely none of it at all. Um, and it's not just because we've all... Well, I would say it's not just because we're all so modern and technologically advanced and well-educated. Um, it, it, it's because things have changed spiritually. Things have changed in the spirit world. Um, a sacrifice has been made that is once and for all, and that imperative that you know, men and women, even without... The not even even with all if all that they had was the knowledge of God from the creation around them they felt that imperative to bring blood sacrifice that's not there anymore and that's because things have changed radically things have changed that's just I'll just stick that out you can chew on that one if you want to so Jesus Jesus died once and for all no further sacrifice is required where sin is forgiven um, but with Aaron you've got a daily reminder that sin remains and must be covered um, by Jesus' blood, he enters into the heavens and cleanses the, the real temple, shall we say, that exists in the heavenly realms. When Moses built the, the tabernacle and was given all his instructions about the tabernacle, um, he, he was told to build according, he's told to build a copy of what he had seen. And he proceeds to do that. And the temple um, you know, mimics that, that tabernacle. So, there, so he saw something there in the heavenlies. And we find here in Hebrews that Jesus enters into the heavenly tabernacle and brings the blood of his own sacrifice um, and cleanses there. Um, whereas with Aaron, you know, only the high priest could enter once a year into the Holy of Holies and that had to be kept on being repeated. We also have a better mountain. I picked this up last time, didn't I? When we were looking at Sinai, we don't come to Sinai, we come to Zion, Mount Zion. So we'll pick that up as well. Okay. So I said that the book is full of strong encouragements and some dire warnings as well. So we're going to pick these up as we go through chapter by chapter. We will pick these up. Um, let me just read a few of these encouragements and warnings. Warnings, first of all, pay 
close attention. Don't drift away. That's 2, chapter 1. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. I'm just going to read the rest of these out. Don't have an unbelieving heart. Don't fall away from the living God. That's listed. That's in there twice. Chapter 3, chapter 4. Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's chapter 3. Hold fast your confession. That's chapter 4. And in chapter 10, press on to maturity. That's chapter 6, verse 1. Give thanks, worship in reverence and awe. Chapters 12 and again in, in chapter 13. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It's chapter 2. You get the, you get, you know, you get in the drift here. The, the, the strong urges, do not drift away. Don't let sin come in and harden your heart. Don't neglect this great salvation that you've got. You know, st stick with it. Pay attention. Be, be alert. Um, and then we've got these kind of things. Those who have tasted, those who have been enlightened, who have tasted of the heavenly gifts, been partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come and then fall away, it says here, it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. So we're going to get into this whole business about once saved, always saved or, or not. How secure is your salvation? Could you lose your salvation? We're going to have to grapple with some of these things. Um, I'm just, I'm putting that out as a bit of a trailer, okay? Bit of a kind of, you know, this is the stuff we're going to get to. What about this warning here? This is serious stuff. If we go on sinning willfully after we know the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. Only a terrifying expectation of judgment. How much more severe a punishment do you think someone will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant which sanctifies and has insulted the spirit of grace. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God, for our God is a consuming fire. Yeah, this is heavy stuff, isn't it? That's chapter 10. Don't fall short of the grace of God. Don't get bitter or become immoral. Don't be like godless Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. And when he regretted it later, he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. So these, these are some very, I think these are probably the most dire and most serious uh, warnings that we have in Scripture. We will unpack them as we go through bit by bit. Um, but we've also, in this book, we've also got some of the greatest encouragements as well. Some of the most magnificent encouragements. I call these three the golden three. The golden three encouragements. So if you've been terrified by what I've just read, listen to this lot and just be strongly encouraged. And again, we'll go through these as we go through chapter by chapter. Um, so here's chapter 4, verse 16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. It's just a beautiful encouragement. Draw near, draw near to God. Remember when we talked about in the Old Testament how at Sinai it was the opposite, wasn't it? It was keep away. 
don't cross the boundary. If anybody, even an animal, touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And I, I made a bit of a, a joke of it, didn't I, in terms of the amount of times Moses had to go up and down the mountain. Remember, he goes all the way up the mountain and God says to him, you must go back down immediately and tell the people they must not touch the mountain because of the holiness of God that was there. And there's that sense of we, you must stay apart. But here in Hebrews, we've got the opposite. Here in Hebrews, he's saying, draw near, let us draw near. Draw near to the throne of grace to receive grace to help in time of need. That's fantastic, isn't it? I mean, what a helpline. What a helpline that you can call on. So it doesn't matter what situation you're in, how dire it is, whatever the circumstances, you can draw near to the throne of grace as well. That's a, that's a great picture, isn't it? Not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace where sits enthroned the king of grace ready to dispense mercy and grace in times of need. There's a, there's, a, there's a one to remember for you. Chapter 10, 22 to 25. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, but all the more as we see the day drawing near. That's a massive encouragement, isn't it? Massive encouragement. Again, draw near in full assurance of faith. Come before your God in full assurance that, his, that, that, that this new covenant works for you that God himself operates according to that new covenant in the way that he relates to you and that you can be confident about that. You can be assured about that, that what he says, he acts on. He can be depended upon to, to, to you know, so that, you know, you've got these great promises about forgiveness of sin and being cleansed and being restored. Those things can be true for you. Draw near with full assurance of faith. Hold fast the confession of our hope. Don't let go of this Christianity. Don't waver. Be strong, be firm. Be sincere and thorough in your faith because, because God who promised is faithful. Our faith rests in the nature of God. There's a fantastic chapter, chapter 11, all about the, you know, the, the, the champions of faith. Um, and, you know, the lessons and the encouragement there is to, to, to follow their example. We can be with them. We are with them. In fact, the book says we are with them. In fact, the book says they're not complete. That gallery of, of great faith heroes isn't complete without us. You and I are in there. So let's be strong in our faith because God who promises faithful and let's stir up one another. So this isn't, this isn't a journey that you're intended to make on your own. You're intended to be with one another, to love and good deeds, stir up one another to love and good deeds. That's, just think about that for a moment now. How, who can I stir up right now to love and good deeds? That's what I want to stir them up to. I don't want to stir them up to 
anger and irritation and frustration. Maybe that comes more easily to you, I don't know. Stir up one another to love and to good deeds and don't neglect meeting together. Get together, don't neglect meeting together. You know, sometimes, I don't know, I'm just the same. Wake up on a Sunday morning, Oh boy, you know, sometimes maybe that's not the first thing that springs into my head is, we're off to church, yes. Maybe it's a case of, oh, I feel pretty dreadful this morning. <laughs> Where's the coffee? But don't, you know, get that as part of your routine. Be, be, be part of the people of God. The church gathers together. Be part of that gathering. And it's great to have guys on holiday with us today who still want to be part of that gathering. They you know, you, could go, you guys could have taken a week off and instead you come and be with the people of God. So thank you for that and thank you for blessing us. Uh, right, I'm going to finish off with this final one. Um, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Lay aside, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. Lay those things aside. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Have that kind of marathon mentality. I'm going to run and run and run. I'm going to endure and endure and endure. How are you going to do that? You're going to fix your eyes on Jesus and you're going to see how he ran because he endured the cross and he despised the shame. Sometimes, you know, we get despised, don't we? Perhaps you're despised at, I don't know, where you gather together with others, whether that's at work or college or school or in friendship groups sometimes you know you can you know you can say something about your christianity or going to church or whatever and you get a despising response might even just be a noise don't even say it sometimes bear that bear that being despised that's fine bear that shame jesus your savior bore it as well so you're one with him in that he despised the shame, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Why? So that you won't become weary and lose heart. There is some fantastic encouragements in here. There's some fantastic stuff in here. Helps you to understand how you relate to the Old Testament, how the Old Testament scriptures relate to you. Might even change your thinking about the end of the world and how you consider the signs to look out for at the end of the world. What is God's plan for the Jews now? You get some indication here in this book. So we are going to enjoy studying this together. We're going to be enriched and strengthened. Um, and I think we will grow in the fear of God as well as in our knowledge and understanding of God. Um, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to pray. Um, perhaps the worship team would like to come up I'm going to pray and just kind of commit us to this study and to this word and let's just uh, you know join with me with an amen I'm just going to ask God really for for wisdom and revelation on this um, and then I'm going to return to one verse of encouragement before I kind of kick over to you is that all right good let's um I'll tell you what shall we stand together and pray that'd be good wouldn't it and why don't I be really radical and suggest you join hands with the person next to you if that's a practical thing to do. Yeah, sweaty hands. Yeah, don't worry about that. We've all got sweaty hands. Right, just close your eyes and I'm going to pray. Father, we want to thank you. We thank you for all of the word of God.
we thank you that we have it so easily and readily before us these days and we're conscious that our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world it's not quite so easy I want to thank you for this book of hebrews uh, bless the author who it remains unknown to us um, but i pray holy spirit you know in all seriousness now just for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to fall upon us lord as we explore this book together over the next uh, several months lord um, I pray, Lord, that the word of God would be unfolded to us. Lord, I think about how uh, when you walked with uh, those uh, couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus um, and how you explained to them the things that were written about you uh, in the Old Testament and how they were being fulfilled. And uh, these guys said, did not our hearts burn within us? as he unfolded the scriptures to us. And I pray, Lord, that as, you know, your various servants, Lord, who stand before their various uh, pulpits, Lord, and, and lecterns, Lord, and unfold the scriptures, Lord, I pray that it would be for each one of us, I pray that it would be as if you yourself were unfolding the scriptures to us. Lord, let our hearts burn within us, Lord, as revelation after revelation is imparted to us. Lord, strengthen us, I pray. Strengthen us, Lord. Encourage us greatly, Lord, with these great encouragements, Lord. Fill us, Lord, with your word, Lord, from this book of Hebrews, Lord. Let us be a people who are soaked in this uh, book, Lord, and the revelations within it, Lord. And uh, lift us, <coughs> Lord, and strengthen us, Lord. And bring us on, Lord. Uh, in uh, corporately, Lord, as, as, uh, as a church, Lord, together, Lord, meeting in our different locations, Lord. But bring us on individually as well, Lord, as just, just plain men and women of God um, walking before you with the, the Holy Spirit inside of us and the Word of God alive in our heart. Amen. Bless us. I'm just going to leave you with this one scripture here from um, 6 verse 1 that basically says... Um, let us press on to maturity. And I'd like you just to take that as a bit, I'm going to put that out as a bit of a challenge to you and say, press on to maturity, press on to maturity in your walk with God. Just as you worship together now, just think, is there anything that's holding me back? Is there anything that's keeping me from pressing on to maturity? Is there anything I need to deal with before God? Um, and deal with those things as we worship and press on to maturity together. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you.